Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, man. I'm excited uh, to be here with you and chop it up a little bit. Yeah, Coach Kareem Reed on the podcast today. Coach, uh, give the listener a little bit of background about yourself uh, for those who who don't 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 know anything about you. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm originally from uh, North Miami, Florida. Uh, played high school ball in the South Florida area. Uh, eventually uh, transitioned on to University of Kentucky, which is where I actually signed with them out of high school. I was a full scholarship player, played there for two years. Uh, then ended up transferring after we had a little coaching change and a change in philosophy, and I didn't really feel like uh, it suited my skill set. So I ended up transferring to UCF uh, back in the Orlando area, uh, was a part of a you know, laying the foundation pretty much for what you see today that program is and had an awesome experience. Was a part of the first bowl team there and played for a really good coach in George O'Leary, who uh, I, I really model a lot of my philosophy and structure organization in terms of what I bring to the table as a head coach off of what I saw him teach us and what I went through as a player. And so from there, uh, you know, the pro ball thing didn't really work out for me. I, I jumped right into coaching right around 2007. Uh, Fort Pierce Westwood was there for two years, had a great run. And then I got an opportunity to transition up to Atlanta and I started at Cedar, Cedar Grove High School in DeKalb County. I was there as a defensive line coach and co-defensive coordinator for three years. Uh, went over to Pebblebrook High School in Cobb County for one and then actually got an opportunity back in South Florida to be a head coach for the first time at Coconut Creek High School. Where I kind of took over a program that had been uh, dormant for a long time and we flipped it in three years. and. and had some really, really good players. A couple of guys go pro, uh, the guys that I had on those teams. And then transitioned back to Atlanta because as you and I talked about before we started, you know, the compensation in South Florida and Florida in general is really, really not where it needs to be for high school coaches. And so I had an opportunity to take over at Westlake High School. Had an awesome time there. Um, won three region championships, coached a lot of really good ball players. And I got another shot at, uh, you know, getting a really – prestigious job in the state of Georgia at, uh, at Griffin High School. And I'm, I just finished our first year there and went 11 and two and want to continue to build on the momentum that we started uh, last year and next year. Absolutely, Coach. That's that's quite a resume. That's that's impressive to say the least. I appreciate it. Uh, talk about, Coach, you're talking about your philosophy you learned from Georgia Leary. Expound on that a little bit. Talk about, you know, what are some things that you really believe in as a coach? Yeah, coach was very, very uh, black and white, man. Like, there was no gray area for anyone. He was very, very organized. Everybody was on the same page and, and knew what the expectation was. I'm talking about from the secretaries to the trainers to the players to the coaches. Everybody that touched the program had a role, and he defined it for you. And so, you know, becoming a head coach, I kind of um, – that's all I know. And so that's how I kind of run my program. And I think when you do things, you define people's roles, you set boundaries and expectations, it leaves a, it doesn't leave much room for misinterpretation uh, of anything. Your message is clear and everybody's understanding that we're working towards one common goal and, and it just makes things flow a lot better. So I think organizationally that's helped me. Uh, there's some things that I would have done differently uh, that, that I didn't like that he did in terms of his application uh, with his players and coaches. And so those are things I kind of don't do. So he taught me a lot of what to do, but a lot of what not to do as well, just to, you know, be real. And so I think I've done a better job in terms of I've been intentional about creating real relationships with my players, um, making sure my coaches all feel like they have a vested interest in game planning and, and how we overall run the program. I, I take everybody's opinions and I tell them, you guys have 49% of the vote and I have 51. All right. So, 
Um, at the end of the day, the buck stops with me, but everybody will be heard because I think when people uh, feel like they're heard, they'll have a vested interest in seeing the success of the team and the program overall. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that with, let's say, you have a philosophy, something that you believe in, and somebody believes in something different, maybe offensive scheme, defensive scheme. How do you handle player discipline? How do you, how do you handle that? I think you gotta, you got to nip that in the bud early um, in when you're doing your hiring, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're getting guys on staff, you have to tell them, hey, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to expect. Does that align with what you do? and what you believe in. And if it doesn't, it's not going to be a fit because I've learned that lesson. I hired a coach before where philosophically we were different in terms of what we wanted to get done schematically. And between he and I, I mean, it was a, a struggle um, that year. And we didn't, we weren't well, uh, well, I, I wouldn't say we weren't well prepared, but we weren't on the same page as coaches. And so it trickled down to the players. And by mid-season, I told them, listen, this is where we're going to do it or you're not going to be a part of this anymore. And, we finally got on track because, you know, my vision um, at the end of the day, my name is on it. So it has to be what I, to my liking. And so um, I think it's important to get guys on your staff uh, that understand what you want to get done and that are okay with carrying out your message because you're only as good as your assistants when you're a head coach. That's the truth. I, I've learned that the hard way of going on six years as a head coach. And that's <laughs> you have to find people that believe in what you believe in. Um, that's, that's a fact, Coach. Talk about – you talked about your defensive coordinator. Talk about your defense philosophy and, you know, what – like what do you believe in on that side of the football? Yeah, so for me, I've, I've always uh, – I'm a 4 2 five guy schematically, um, so even front. But I also do understand uh, – and I like to jump into odd stuff to bring pressure from different parts of the field that uh, you really can't uh, pick up, you know, pre-snap-wise. Because when I was at Kentucky, actually, we moved to a – three, four defense my second year there. And I played under a guy that was uh, with the Steelers. So he brought a lot of that Oakley front stuff with him. Uh, and then when I went to UCF, Coach O'Leary was a four down guy. So I've kind of learned and then with the evolution of football from when I played to now, everybody's wide open spread. You got to have more athletes on the field. So I try to get, you know, a couple of uh, three safeties. And one of them is like a hybrid type, kind of linebacker type dude. So, you know, my philosophy is to keep it simple for the guys, keep it simple for your kids, make, make sure everybody understands their job first and foremost, which is the most important thing, but then allow them to play fast, right? You want to simpl simplify things and don't give them too many rules where they have paralysis by analysis. Give them a job, give them a couple keys and indicators to look for, and then let them play. How does your, so how does like your offense philosophy blend with that? Like how does that all all go together because sometimes that can be hard especially if you hire you, you hire a coordinator and you're trying to get them to do what you want to do I don't think it's hard at all I think again you find a guy with, through the process of interviewing candidates that you uh that can get a job done I know I like to be a tempo guy I want us to play fast um, I want us to use athletes um I, all the schools I've been at we've typically had a speed advantage on, on people that we played because we had a lot of good athletes that, that were very fast and so I feel like you get the kids out in space, um, you know, and your athletes out in space, let them get them opportunity to win one-on-one -on -one matchups and create mismatches by alignments and stuff like that. So I look for a coordinator that has that same philosophy. Um, but I also want it to be tough. And so we're going to run the ball. Just because they're spread doesn't mean you can't be a power football team. So we got to find that happy balance, happy medium, I should say, um, to, to juggle both of those philosophies. And this past year, I was very fortunate to have a really good uh, – 
OC, uh, Teron Owens, who we, we had a quarterback throw for 2,500 yards and, and, a, uh, and a running back that ran for 1,300. And then we had three receivers that were all over 500 yards past I'm receiving. So we, we did a really good job being balanced. That's awesome. And, and Coach, I think there's people obviously listening to this podcast that don't understand the level of competition in Georgia. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Talk about what's it like week in and week out to play against people that are really, really good. Um, yeah, it's it's fun for, for a coach. If you're a competitor and you like to challenge yourself and you, you know, uh, you like to see where you're at, you stack up, you know, Georgia's the place to be because I was just actually having this conversation recently with someone else. Uh, all three phases of the game are coached up really well here in the state. Um, and so you really have to make sure you emphasize special teams in the kicking game because that would get you beat, you know, uh, with equipment, as it will on every level. But definitely, you know, in the state of Georgia and high school ball, those guys on special teams are really, really good. So you got to make sure you emphasize that you spend enough time on that part so that your kids understand how important it is. And I make sure I coach a phase of that as well. So my kids know, you know, when the head man is uh, coaching the unit, <laughs> they're going to pay attention a little bit better, um, typically. And so, you know, it's fun, man. For me, I love it. Um, every Friday night's a challenge. And I've just been blessed to, to win a, a little bit more than I lost. Oh, absolutely, Coach. I mean, you've done a great job everywhere you've been. Uh, I was looking at your records, and, I, you know, records aren't everything, but it's, it tells me that you've done a great job everywhere you've coached. And, you know, talk about – you were talking about developing players, relationships with players. You know, how do you go about doing that? How, what's, what are some ways you develop those relationships with your players to help them understand you care about them as people, um, as well as players, obviously, but more as a, more as a person? Yeah, time, you know, time, you spell love, T-I-M-E, you know, and, and so when you invest time with kids, you make sure that they see you outside of just a guy that's barking uh, instructions and handing out consequences, then they'll, you know, endear themselves to you a little bit more. So for me, uh, what I do, obviously, I don't have a position group, but I make sure my, my I task all my assistants um, every summer, they have to take their position group out once. And they got to do something outside of football. I don't care what it is, whether you guys go bowling, go eat some wings, you know, I don't care, go play a video game. It doesn't matter. You know, go out and do something together as a group and just, you know, shoot the breeze, man, and chop it up about whatever. Have some fun. And that way the kids see you, that you're an actual person. You know, when you break bread with somebody, um, it's a different experience. It's a level of trust that's built when, you you know, you share it share a meal with somebody and sit down and just have a conversation. And so I try to do those things for my team. For me, one thing that I was really, I emphasized uh, my last year at Westlake, I'm going to implement it again because I'm actually moving into a new house. So I have some room, but I have all my guys over. Um, we'll have like a family day where the, the kids just come over, uh, cater it. I have, you know, some hot dogs, hamburgers, um, you know, wings. And I, I got a PS4. They play the game. Um, you know, listen to me play cards, whatever. Just have a good a family day chop it up and just enjoy each other's company. And that way, they know when I'm on the field and I'm getting you behind, it's coming from a place that I'm trying to make you better, right? Because I've invited you into my home. You ate my food. You lay on my couch. If I didn't care about you, if I didn't trust you, I wouldn't do that because you don't let nobody in your house that you don't trust, right? So um, those things help. You know, I, I bring my kids around. Um, they see how I interact as a father. You know, they see a, a different side of me with my daughter. Um, so I think all those things kind of help uh, build relationships and allow kids to see that, you know, you care about them just more than an athlete. Hey, Coach, talk about, like, we're in this COVID-19 
thing. How how are you you trying to keep the relationships going? Because that that's a hard thing now. And I don't I don't know like what's Georgia doing as far as getting guys back to practice. I don't I'm not in the loop on that right now. Yeah. So so the good thing for us is uh, they actually lifted the uh, you know the band that's getting together. Uh, we're actually going to be able to reconvene on June 8th. So that would be the first first day that we can officially do something <laughs> with our kids. And so for us, um, we will uh, have a workout. You can only, you know, lift and run and maybe do some walkthroughs type, type stuff. Um, we got to bring them in in different groups because uh, there's a, a number limit on the amount of people that can be allowed in those workouts. But so we'll kind of, we're going to actually, I'm actually having another meeting this afternoon with my, my guys to kind of figure it out and map out a blueprint. But throughout, well, since March, uh, you know, a couple of things we did, I, I, first and foremost, I'm a big social media guy. So, I mean, that's how my kids kind of stay in contact with me, too, because kids' numbers always change, but their social media can stay the same. So, they'll hit, you know, DM me on, on Twitter or whatever if they have an issue. Um, but also, I, I, I tasked and I told all my assistants, you all have to be on Twitter, too, and I need you to be active because even though we're apart, we have to stay connected. And, and that's a way for the kids to engage with you, you know, and so um, – Make sure you guys, you know, at least have a small presence on Twitter, or at least have an account. Um, the other thing we did was we all created, I mean, my coaches create Google Classrooms for their position groups. So what we did, like the offensive line had a class, defensive line, running backs, receivers, DBs. And I made my coaches, I said, along with our installs and whatever we want to get done because we missed spring ball, I also want you guys to make these kids do a case study on Deion Sanders and figure out why was he so great, you know, uh, show uh, the defensive line, you know, um, Derek Connors. Because these guys have, we, as you know, our kids today don't even watch football. It's, it blows my mind. Yeah. I was a football junkie growing up, and that's all I did. Saturday, I sat around and watched football. I still do it to this day. So you learn the game. You learn little nuances of the game by just watching it. Our kids don't watch ball uh, like they used to anymore. So this kind of forced them to keep football on the brain, learn a little bit of history because they know none. <laughs> and um, I think it kind of paid dividends for our guys a lot. Yeah, I saw on Twitter you posted you had like a Zoom meeting with your team. How did how does that go for you? How, do you like it? Is Zoom a thing you, you wanted to continue to use with your guys? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll continue to use it in, in, in the capacity. I don't think I, I have to use it as much with my players um, once we get everything back to normal. I like the actual interaction. I like the physical interaction. I mean, virtual is cool when you have to use it, but the actual interaction because – you know, I want to dap my guys up, give them a handshake, a hug, you know what I'm saying, and kind of have those one-on-one -on -one interactions. But Zoom does allow me to kind of send out one mass message to everyone, one announcement, whatever it may be, to kind of make sure everybody's on the same page. For my coaching staff, I think we will utilize it on maybe bye weeks. Uh, we won't have to necessarily come into the office on Sunday. We can kind of talk, um, you know, in the comforts of our home and share ideas and if I have something to show them I can share my screen stuff like that so I think the technology is awesome um and we will incorporate it into our program going forward okay how so how do you guys you're talking about your schedule how do you handle like your like your in-season meetings like between games so are you a Saturday Sunday one day on the weekends like how, how does that work I'm always interested to hear about guys plus talking in terms of with my coaches or the players well, both. Do you bring the players in? Do you just have the coaches? Yeah, so for us, our work week starts on Sunday. Um, we'll bring the kids in on Sunday at 8 a.m. for an hour, and they'll watch the, the previous uh, Friday's game. We'll put that to bed, make our corrections, um, and whatever we need to, you know, say to them about that, and then we cut them loose. And then I'm meeting my staff from 
at nine o'clock, nine a.m. And we'll they'll give me the good, bad, and the ugly. Uh, they'll all we'll sit around our, our staff table. Um, they're all responsible for grading their positions. They'll tell me the grades, uh, whatever additional comments they have, and it's an open forum, so everybody kind of hears what you know what got what guys are doing on either side of the ball. From there, I give my overall assessment of what I thought you know went down, um, good, bad, and the ugly of that. And then moving forward, what I wanted to get accomplished for that week. After that, we'll break off again into offensive and defensive position or unit meetings with the coordinators. They'll kind of lead that. The offense, I typically don't, you know, go into their meetings. I'm a defensive guy, but I'll tell my coordinator, hey, we probably need to pound a little bit more this week, or we could probably take advantage of the passing game. And how he gets it done, I really don't care. Like, I let him, you know, cook. I just tell him what I want, what meal I want, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, Defensively, though, I'm a lot more involved. Um, me and my coordinator work really, really well together because we have like minds and we have similar philosophies. So it's really, really easy. I watch the film with those guys. Uh, we'll come up with a game plan, you know, adjust our depth chart accordingly. And then from there, we'll reconvene again. We'll have a meal. Um, I, I bring in a meal for my coaches. We'll sit down. We'll have, you know, lunch. Um, if we're done working by then, we'll, those guys are free to leave and go home by about 1 o'clock. If not, we'll get back in there and, and knock it out until we get it done. And so... That's Sunday. From there, Monday, uh, after school, we get out at 3.20. Our kids will be in meetings or weights by 3.40. We get 20 minutes to dress and change. Um, and then we'll have probably a, a Mondays, typically that means 25 to 30 minutes. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, the game, our install for the day, um, the new depth chart. I give out whatever accolades I need to. Like defensively, I usually give my player the game, a Gatorade and a candy bar or something like that. We'll clap it up for that guy and we'll move forward. That's Monday. Um, Tuesday, uh, we, we're going to meet every day. Well, we'll meet before practice on Monday and Tuesday. So we'll meet again on Tuesday. We'll make our corrections from Monday's practice. We record all our practices. Um, we'll also lift the game. We lift three days a week in season. Um, on Wednesday, I'm lying, we lift four days a week. On Wednesday, we practice at 5.30 in the morning. And so there is no meeting time. Yeah, we bring them in at 5.30 because our, our Wednesday practices are just helmets. And so it's a, it's a really fast run through. It's really a polished day, um, mental day to make sure their alignments and assignments are right, the fits are correct. Um, there's no good on good, it's all scout team. Um, and then we'll be done, we give them a breakfast by about 6.45 and then they go to class. They're done for the day in the afternoon. They'll go to tutorial. And or my coaches and my coaches can go home, you know, at a decent hour. We'll come back again 5:30 again Thursday morning. We'll have an hour and 15 minute practice again. Now we have shells on. It's good on good. We're picking up the tempo. It's a thud type deal. Um, and we'll go through all our special teams and stuff like that. Uh, and then we'll give them a breakfast again. They go to class. And then Thursday afternoon is when we have JV and ninth grade games. Friday's Friday. You know, we play, tee it up, kick it off, and then Saturday we're off all the way. So that's kind of our schedule uh, in season. How do you – I mean, most – I've listened. Is that like a Chip Kelly philosophy doing like the, the – yeah, I think everybody's kind of adopted that, you know, in some okay. form of fashion. I tried it um, two years ago when I was at Westlake. Um, the kids, once I explained the why, they really caught, caught on to it and they loved it. They, they were fresher. Um, and I, really, I, I did that because, and part of the reason I felt as if uh, we didn't probably, we weren't as fresh in the playoffs as we probably should have been the previous year. Mm -hmm. And then also, I was trying to limit also uh, the amount of concussions we were having. We were having a lot of kids with concussions. 
Okay. So that's one thing also. I, we don't tackle and practice to the ground. Look, everything is thug with us. Only live all the way to the ground segments or goal line, short yardage type stuff. Everything else, we're just going to thug. We're not going to tackle anybody. And actually, it has never affected us with our in-game tackling. We, we teach tackling every day. It's right. not going to the I tell you what, I, I've had some guys on my staff that we, we're the same. We thud. Um, we do one live tackling drill a week. I know there's some guys that give me major that give me major pushback on why don't we go live more. I'm like, man, if you're teaching correct tackling technique and practice, we don't need to go to the ground. Correct, correct. And it actually forces the kids to get body on the body, getting their their head and hands in the right place, and running their feet on on, on contact. You know, um, you don't have to go to the ground. I want to say about my major collisions Friday night, and yeah. thank God we haven't had any catastrophic injuries um, in practice. You know, the past three years. Um, and uh, my concussions, I think we may have had one, and the kid did it to himself being silly. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, we had one of those last year. I, I about lost my mind on the two kids that were acting like a bunch of morons in the locker room. Yep. <laughs> I was like, what are y'all doing? Uh, Coach, kind of as we, we wrap this up, you know, Coach, this the, the events of this past, past week uh, with George Floyd and – Minneapolis, that's, that's made me really reflect on, you know, me as, as, a, as, a, white, as a white coach needs to listen to our, our black brethren and how do we relate to our black players, our black community members. And it's, this made me just want to listen. I don't want to say anything. So, you know, what are, what are some things that we can do uh, you know, as, as, white, as white people to help um, and just listen? Yeah, I mean, I don't have all the answers. I honestly don't know. I think that's something that, <clears throat> that the burden of, of, of racism is not one that a black person should have to bear in terms of solving it, right? So I think the white community has to kind of look inside themselves and realize why do we have these preconceived notions of people? Why are we afraid? You know what I'm saying? I think at the end of the day, when people um, like you said, empathize and have an understanding, it takes away that fear, right? So read about black history, like understand, you know, take a trip. I'm gonna tell you what I, and it just came to my mind. I went, I took a trip to Washington DC two years ago and I visited African American Museum. And that was a, ooh, man, it was a heavy experience because when you walk in there, you, it's four levels. You gotta start from the ground up, right? And on the bottom level, they talk about the slave trade. So you're literally like walking through a slave ship and they had like the Negro hymnals playing in the background. You're looking at all the pictures and the images and how they got these people from Africa and threw them on a boat and chained them down and how they, you know, got them across the Atlantic. And then as you progress through the museum, the second level is now, okay, we're in the civil rights movement and you can see that, but it progressively shows you to where the fourth level is now where we are today with president Obama and like hip hop culture and how it's accepted. So it's a progressive, um, advancement of the culture and of the people, but that bottom line is so heavy, it makes it so real to you. It gives you a real, under, even as a black person, I went through it, I was like, damn. Like, now I get like, I felt proud because our people were so strong, they overcame all of these challenges and obstacles. But I think it's so enlightening, it enlightened me, and I know it definitely would enlighten others outside of our community to take a trip and learn about that stuff, man. If you have an opportunity to go visit that place, it's, it's a lot of education, a lot of material. And then I think it'll help you understand. But do your research. I mean, we're in the information age, information age, right? Look up all the things that we talk about, you know what I'm saying, in terms of even before the civil rights movement, 
um, you'll understand how these events that have happened recently are triggers for us. Right. People are like, why are they, you know, they're lashing out? Yeah, because it's like, it's literally, even though I didn't go through slavery, I still see those images. I still know that my parents are immigrants that came from another country, you know, to, 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 to America for a better life and for opportunity. And, and, and they made it happen, but they went through a lot as well in terms of being discriminated against and not having all the fair opportunity that everybody else, you know, has. And I think um, just educating yourself, you know, um, and that's my, you know, that would be my advice uh, to, to the white community because it'll help you understand what, why we feel the way we feel, why sometimes we may be a little pissed off and upset about certain things. Um, but I think understanding kind of empathy uh, will help us kind of come together more um, and kind of move forward. Mm-hmm. Oh, my wife was given a book on one of her, uh, one of her friends and, um, it had a, it had some authors on the back and my wife was like, I don't know any of these names and that's great. You know, like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like, what does it mean like to be black in America? And my wife was like, I don't know these names and that's what I want. Yeah. Um, and you know, <laughs> the other thing that it's just like, when, when we talk, when people talk about their issues, don't white folks tend to be like, well, but this or, but that, like, don't, throw the butt in there. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. listen, like, and just understand. <laughs> yeah. Nobody says, when they talk about, for instance, uh, like the Holocaust, you know what I'm saying? Nobody, there's no buts when Jews talk yeah. about that. People just listen to like, yeah, they're outrageous. That's terrible event. But when we talk about the plight of the black person in this country, it's like, you know, and then when you look at like Michael Vick got sentenced for, for seven, for however long he got sentenced, served jail time and they took all the money for killing dogs, it was a bad crime, yes. But there wasn't that same outrage from the white community <laughs> when our kids are being, you know what I'm saying, killed in the streets, literally, and there's no accountability. That's the, that's the problem, the accountability piece. I mean, I understand there's all kinds of crime. Crime is crime, right? But there's accountability for others. There's no accountability typically when law enforcement does it, and that's the issue. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I mean, I, I think it's something that you know, we as the, as like as the white community is just to understand we need to listen and empathize and like you said don't say but <laughs> you know like we we don't we don't know what it's like and that's i think some people want to say oh i know what it's like no we don't no we don't right. <laughs> like we we don't we you know and and white privilege is a real thing i mean we're born on third base and we think we hit a triple you know <laughs> you know and that's i just i think what you were talking about coach is great i this is this is really helping me because, you know, somebody who's a coach and a teacher, you always want to try to like say something. Right. And now it's just, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt, man. And that's always good, man. Just, just like, like I said before with my staff, right. Everybody wants to be heard like and, and acknowledged. And then once you're heard and you feel like you're heard and acknowledged, okay, I could go along with what you guys want to get done. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I just think it brings harmony um, and just have understanding, man, and compassion for people. Coach, that's awesome. Coach, I, I appreciate you coming on. You're a busy man. Uh, you you uh, you have a busy schedule. I thank you for coming on the podcast, Coach. All right, no problem. I thank you for having me. Appreciate you reaching out, man, and good luck to you this season. Yeah, Coach. Um, oh, one final thing. Where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, sure. It's uh, at Coach Reed, R-E-I-D, 99, on Twitter. Um, you know, follow me, and, and I probably follow back. So, 
you know, very active on there. And then also the, uh, the team Twitter page for my, my program is uh, at GriffinFB1. So uh, you can see what we're about, what we're doing with our guys, how we're promoting our program and our kids and trying to get them to the next level while winning games and creating better citizens and young men of the community. Heck yeah, Coach. That is awesome. I, I appreciate you coming on, Coach. All right. Thank you, brother.